The church I was a part of in the 90s would send the college students to Juarez, Mexico every spring break for a week of street outreach. It was a big deal. I went five different times, the first being my junior year of college. I didn't actually want to go that year. I was both very selfish and very fearful. But in that first week I spent in Juarez, I would see miracles and encounter things I had never imagined possible, and my whole world would be turned upside down. I count that week one of three major turning points in my life and my worldview. And that is not the story I'm telling you today. The story I'm telling you today took place on my third or fourth trip while I was working as a young teacher and still interacting with the college group. Let's set the scene. 250 to 300 students would gather on a Friday evening, bags in tow, and board Greyhound buses for an overnight journey. Juarez is a border city, the Mexican half of El Paso, Texas, and it was a 10 to 12 hour drive from our college town. We'd be wired and full of caffeine. Sleep would eventually come, but not good sleep. We'd pull into an El Paso McDonald's for an early breakfast and then drive over to the border crossing. The buses didn't have the paperwork to enter Mexico, so we'd disembark and walk across the border. And this was the mid-90s, pre-9-11, and there wasn't much in the way of security or a thorough check of documents as we went, so it was a fast process. The border crossing was a bridge, and all 250 to 300 of us would walk across on the sidewalk into Mexico. We smelled bad, we hadn't slept, but we had consumed morning sugar, so the mood was usually silly and hyped. Long-distance late-night bus travel leaves you with something very much like jet lag, and when we crossed that bridge, we were usually in its delirious phase. We'd march across singing songs, making jokes, being loud Americans, going past the carts men had set up to sell various souvenirs, knock off sunglasses, or cold drinks, making our way to the buses of our Mexican friends that were waiting on the other side to take us to our hotel. It was both an awful and an amazing way to start a week of ministry. But a select few were chosen to ride over the border. One bus was rented in Mexico and brought across to pick up all of our gear. Hundreds of suitcases, a sound system, boxes of Spanish tracts, all the equipment we'd need for the work we would do that week. A group of about 15 people were chosen to ride over with it, there to help unload and reload in case the bus was stopped and border guards wanted to search the bags. Unless you were too tired to walk, it was the less fun way to get over the border. And on this particular year, I was in the group chosen for the bus. We loaded all the bags and got on, taking up the first four or five rows as the bus joined the long line of vehicles crossing into Mexico. The border agents seemed to be doing a particularly thorough job checking cars and searching bags. We inched along many cars back. Dawn had passed. The day was quickly showing itself to be hot and dusty. The bus was stuffy. The air conditioning was broken, if it existed to begin with. The driver, a man just assigned to do a job and with no particular connection to us or the reason for our trip, was playing 70s and 80s rock radio a little too loud for the time of day and our mental condition. The ride was unpleasant. We sat slumped in our chairs, dozing off, lethargic, getting headaches from the music, not happy about how long it looked like this would take, even less happy about the prospect of taking all the bags off of the bus and opening them one by one for the border inspectors. We smelled bad, and our attitudes matched. 
Now, our leader on this bus ride was one of the main leaders of the trip, the man who, years later, would be my boss in the ear hair story from episode two. He tried to get us stirred up. Okay, come on, guys. We need some energy here. Why don't you turn to the two or three guys around you and just pray for this to go fast and that we wouldn't have to take all the bags off. Let's just stir up some faith. Let's go. It was the right thing to ask of us, but in our current state, we were more annoyed than pumped up. Still, we did what he asked and turned to each other to pray. And so we did, praying some of the lamest, most half-hearted prayers we'd ever prayed. God, help us to uh, get through this. We pray. Um, just uh, go quickly. Someone else said an equally uninspiring line or two more, barely heard over some song by some hair band. And then we settled into silence, no less grouchy or tired than before. And then it happened. The song on the radio changed, and the unmistakable voice of Tom Petty filled the bus. It was a song whose lyrics I'd seen quoted in a book, but had never actually heard. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. I know what's right. I got just one life. I'm going to keep this world from dragging me down. I'm going to stand my ground, and I won't back down. The atmosphere on the bus instantly changed. I'm not even sure everyone noticed the song, but our energy shifted. We perked up. We prayed with faith. We prayed with joy, with confidence. Everything instantly felt different. And within minutes, we suddenly reached the actual point of inspection. The crossing agent took a look at our bus full of suitcases and equipment, picked one bag at random, opened it, rummaged through it a little, gave it back, and let us go. We were through. As simple as that. And we rejoiced. To me, it felt like Tom Petty had saved the day. But what do we do with that? Did we just respond to the emotions of the song and encourage ourselves? Or did the enemy try to trick us into thinking some secular song was something good? Or could God have actually spoken through it? Let me tell you one other story that happened right around the same time. At the time of that Juarez trip, I was living in a small apartment near my university's campus. Come home every afternoon, exhausted from teaching, and flip on The Simpsons. Now, when it first came out just a few years before, I hadn't been allowed to watch it. Bart especially was a figure of much controversy for his attitude. But now, I was on my own with more free time than I'd had in college, and I'd grown to like it. The show was in its sixth or seventh season, part of the stretch considered its heyday, but I was watching only older syndicated episodes, and one day reached one I'd never seen. Homer thinks he's eaten some bad fugu, poisonous blowfish, and only has 24 hours to live, so he makes a list of what he wants to accomplish in that last day, and he goes for it. He teaches Bart to shave. He spends quality time with Lisa. He makes a video for Maggie for when she's older. He reconciles with his own father and ends up spending half the day with him. He enjoys some final moments with Marge. And for what he believes to be his last act, he falls asleep in his favorite chair, listening to the Bible on tape. And just before he collapses, he hears the final verse of the Old Testament. 
I shall restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I strike the land with a curse. It stands out because Homer has just spent the episode restoring his relationship with his children and with his father. This prophecy has come to pass before our eyes. But then it turns out that Homer is not dead. He has not eaten bad blowfish, and he jumps up the next morning, rejoicing, excited, making a declaration to God and his family that he is going to live every day from now on to the fullest, as if it was his last. The last shot of the episode cuts from that declaration to Homer, sometime later, sitting in his chair, in his underwear, watching bowling, and eating pork rinds. And I chuckled, oh, Homer. But then I felt it, like a light but unpleasant punch to the gut. It was one of a small handful of times in my life where a voice different from my own, seemingly from out of nowhere, spoke to my head. And here's what it said. No, John, that's you. How many times have I given you a mountaintop experience? And you've made your promises only to forget them a few days later. That's you. Homer is you. Oh, I'm so sorry, Father. It is me. So sorry. Here's what I took from these two incidents. There's no such thing as secular. There isn't. The Psalms say that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. And ultimately, I think that Christian and secular are unhelpful categories. Christian is meant to be a noun, not an adjective. Because someone like Tom Petty can sing a song that speaks truth, and I can get a good and helpful lesson from Homer Simpson. And at the same time, a Christian can speak a message that isn't helpful, that misses the mark completely. So I think a more helpful category might be true and false, truth and lie. Because if something is really true, it belongs to God. All truth is his truth. And if something is false, if it's a lie, it doesn't matter how holy the person is who spoke it or did it, it's still bad. It's still not from God. See, we try to put God in a box. We, we think we can explain him, write down all the things, put them in a seminar notebook, and explain God. And if we can do that, He must be a pretty small God, but I don't think he is. I don't think he can be boxed and labeled. He can't be limited to our bubbles, our subcultures. See, I think people, you and me, are deeply, deeply important to God. He loves us deeply enough to meet us where we are. Could he have spoken the same message through something besides Homer Simpson? Was there another way to stir us up on the bus? Probably. But in front of the Simpsons is where I was at that moment, and on that bus with that radio station on. And speaking to us in those moments was more important to him than evaluating whether he was allowed to use Tom Petty or not. And that's ultimately what I think Paul means when he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Think about those things. I think part of what he means is find those things wherever they are, wherever you are. See, there are voices everywhere saying many things. Listen for the true and the beautiful, and you may, 
and in unexpected form, and in unexpected places, hear the voice of God. Because all of that, it's His. It's all His. He's alive! Homer! Homer, wake up! You're alive! All right, stop it. Come wake on. up! You're alive! You're alive! What are you talking about? You're alive! I'm alive! I'm alive! And I couldn't be happier! <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Stories and Stuff with John, the podcast where I tell you stories and talk about stuff, and my name is John. Super catchy catchphrase that I have there. I hope you guys all had a great Christmas and New Year's break, um, and I hope you're all healthy and well or recovering quickly. This Omicron thing is going everywhere. Um, seems like every hour I'm getting a text from someone who says they have it. So I hope you guys are all doing well out there. So far, we're good. But I did have two interviews that I had to cancel or postpone. The first one that was going to be for today because the guy got COVID and was really struggling with it. He's getting better now, thank God. But the other one because he was a little too tired to record when we were going to do it. Aww. No, I'm just messing. But I do have two really good interviews lined up in coming weeks. But because this week was a little bit longer and because people are getting sick, we don't actually have an interview. But what we do have is a little bit of your feedback. Last time on the show, uh, we talked a little bit about cover songs. I'd mentioned the Arcadian Wild and their cover of Crazy in Love and how amusing I found it. Um, and I asked you to send in your favorite cover songs. Uh, we got one message from Luke, friend of the podcast, and he talked, he mentioned Alien Ant Farm's cover of Smooth Criminal. I couldn't believe I'd forgotten that one, but that is a classic. Um, he also mentioned a heavy metal artist named Leo Moraccioli. I think that's how you have to say it legally. Moraccioli. Uh, I, I actually don't know how to say his last name, but he does heavy metal covers of songs like Lionel Richie's Hello and Beat It, Take On Me. And I also listened to his cover of Let It Go, which is definitely something that exists in the world, is that heavy metal cover of Let It Go. So check it out if you're so inclined for metal covers of Disney songs. Um, but I want to give you a chance to send some feedback for next week's episode. And I just want to ask the question based on the story that I just told. Have you ever had a divine encounter? God speaking to you in a really, really unusual place through an unusual voice in an unusual way. I would love to hear some of those stories. And I know that next week's guest has a story that also involves Tom Petty. What's the deal with that? Now, I don't know the story yet be crazy if it was the exact same song or if it was the exact same story um, but we'll hopefully find out then next week i have a little bit more of a funny story for you um, but if you have feedback on that question please write to stories and stuff with john at gmail.com that's stories and stuff with john at gmail.com otherwise you can also post it on the anchor page for this podcast and as always i thank you for listening i hope you're doing well and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.